In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hey, y'all. Just want to give you a quick trigger warning for uh, just general malaise and uh, domestic unrest bordering on abuse in this story. It's pretty hardcore. Uh, we won't get in the wor- to the worst of it today, but I just want to give you a heads up. And also just a little quick note, we are talking very much in gender normy terms on this episode, and it's Predominantly because we're talking about a community that really only exists within, you know, trad gender norms. So we're doing a lot of men do this, women do this. And I know that that can be a little um, grating, was for me at least. But this is very much not to exclude anybody, but to acknowledge that this is how this community lives where everybody is completely straight. Wink. Someplace underneath. We shall see. What do you think's going to happen? Which new thing when we all go back outside is going to make everybody sick? Oh, the coughing, the like... Well, ma- new flus? New flu. Flu part two. Ooh, flu part two sounds cute. We're all just shitting ourselves on the train. I'm into it. <laughs> I, let's try Let's try new flu. I'm bored with the old one. Well, um, it's lovely to see you. Welcome to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. We are... Continuing the horrible story of Susan Powell and Amber's dressed beautifully in a nice spring wear with like this flowy blue and purple skirt on. Thank you. I felt I've just been wearing a lot of like combat boots and hoodies. Yeah. And I was like, it's a lovely Sunday afternoon. The sun is out. I am happy. I'm going to enjoy my presence. I'm going to feel myself. But I definitely took the train and uh, nobody's dressed nice or feeling that way. No. Why why would they? No. So I'm standing in a corner. You know, it's okay. It's all right. You made it. You survived it. And I think it's beautiful. Uh, I'm still dressed 
like a goblin in the trash you can. You look beautiful but, as always. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, it makes sense, though, wearing combat boots for the last year because we've been combating the war inside of our brains. Absolutely. And you want to get away in case somebody's coming at you. COVID or cops or something. Gotta, gotta go. Yep. Can't kick yourself in the brain, though, as no. much as you might want to. No, I'm wearing heels today. I They're love so it. They're so cute. I want to be a nice, feminine, pretty lady, you know, and embrace it. I want to, like, wear the skirts and the flowers. I want to make rose water. And this whole Susan Powell thing, like, when she's talking about she just wants kids and a family, mm-hmm. I was like, I get it. Of course. I get it. And the best part about it is that you can make your own choice about it. And that's awesome. <laughs> that's all I ask for. Just make your own choice and don't let him control your finances. Oh, girl. Oh. I was reading over this and I was uh, telling Natalie before before we got on air, but I was like, I'm not a violent person. I'm a lovely lady, but this fucking dude, all I want is just him tied to a chair and me with a baseball bat in a room, turn off the cameras. I get 10 minutes. (laughs) I don't don't know if anybody can fault you for that. He's just such a piece of shit. You do just... It's the automatic reaction when he talks is you just want to strangle him. Just a slap that little stupid beard off his face. It's just this little scraggly little boy beard. Yeah. It's it's like sometimes dudes who can't grow full beards want to have them, which is fine. Cool. Fine. Do what you want. But it's almost like his beard was the expression of how wormy his soul is wormy. just expressed on his face because he just wanted to control her that's all he wanted yeah and he you know we got back in the first episode we got into a lot of maybe why are you <laughs> why are you josh and uh we we kind of talked about that and it probably had a lot to do with steve but yeah as we talk about a lot in these cases, there are certain points where you do have to make choices and he chose to be a chode for Yeah, he chose to be just like his father. He could have gone to therapy. He yeah. could do that, but no, I can't do that. Men don't go to therapy. Well, yeah, he adamantly refused. Susan begged him to go many times uh, to therapy and she was fairly certain he was, you know, manic depressive or something. And he certainly was something. He was something. Something spicy in that brain, boy. I would have loved to have seen what a therapist's take on Josh Powell would have been. They would just be like, lock him away. Yeah, like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't, we can't have this. (laughs) My, my diagnosis is he is, uh, we need to put him in a cage. Yeah, and I'm against, like, I don't want to... Again, I'm not violent. I don't want to throw people away in jail. But at a certain point, you have to be taken away from the rest of society because you're going to hurt somebody, as he did. Yes, many people. She absolutely deserves all the coverage in the world. And I know that she's been covered fairly well. But again, we're going to be coming from a point of looking at we're seeing this template for everything that can go wrong and and the places where maybe people could have stepped in. And and this is definitely not about blaming anyone for not helping in the right way, but to help in future cases that are, you know, maybe something in our own lives where we can kind of decide maybe we do need to step in at this point if we see ABC happening. You see these signs. I know the community I grew up in, it was a lot of like, well, I don't want to make waves. Yes. And like people's lives were ruined, but I don't want to make waves. Yeah. Maybe it, make some waves. For sure. And and that's especially difficult within a very insular, high control religion like Mormonism, where you're never to step a toe out of line. That is the, the, the you know, antithesis of what 
Mormonism, it's about being very um, structured and the same. And oh, yeah. tuck the shirts in, wear the belt, follow your role, do your thing, do not question. So, and that could work for a lot of people, but then, like, some people they kind of need that structure. But uh, sometimes it's just like you got to step in. Yeah, and it, it's hard if it's that's not what you need or who you are. Uh, that can be really stifling. And also, it's a very patriarchal system. So no matter what's happening, the man's opinion or thoughts override whatever the woman thinks. There's a diagram showing this. Like, oh yeah, the man is the top. God, part. man, woman. But what yes. if the man is corrupt? What if he's like? What polluted? if he needs help? What yeah. if? What if he doesn't have the tools, the assets he needs to be the head of the household? Then what? Then what? I ask you. Then what? My dad. I would say he was. Well, my mom was pretty head of the household, really. But my dad was like a strong masculine figure. But he, he like worked out his demons. Yeah. He never yelled, you know? Really? <laughs> no, you never screamed or yelled or hit or did any of this shit. Wow, that's great. I know. <laughs> I'm very blessed. <laughs> I mean, we all have our own trials, don't we? <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, so let's continue on. So we're going to, like we just talked about, we're going to be talking about specific parts of this case. And if you want an extremely in-depth, long-form breakdown, I cannot recommend Cold Enough, the podcast. And then there's two books, If I Can't Have You and A Light in Dark Places. Um, also, Oxygen did a four-part series on it, which I have conflicting feelings on, mm -hmm. but it's available if you want to see it. It's a little exploitative, but that's Oxygen. What are you going to do? So where we last left off, a 19-year-old Susan Cox and a 24-year-old Josh Powell had just begun dating in the year 2000. People around them were perplexed, mm -hmm. we'll say. But for whatever reasons they were, Susan latched on to some part of Josh that appealed to her enough that she began talking about marriage very early on. That in itself is not super surprising since her church, their doctrine promotes getting married very young in order because it's all about family. Mormon is just family, 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 which makes sense because that means more money. For them. More money, more people. And for a lot of people, family works out for them. Absolutely. But really take a step back and be like, because I, I think she was just like, he likes me, but she never thought to herself, do I like him? Yeah. And you made that point last episode. And I think that's really uh, sharp point to make and very valid here. I don't think she ever considered that. And a lot of women don't. I didn't. No, especially when you're young, you just don't understand shit yet. And you just want to have sex. She's probably horny. Absolutely. I mean, that's another thing. You know, they're there. I think that at least with Susan, she didn't do the full chastity thing. I think she had boyfriends and stuff, which I'm very pro. <laughs> um, but, you know, she was 18 when they first interacted and then mm -hmm. was just about to turn 19. And to Susan's parents' credit, even though they were devout Mormons themselves, they tried to, to dissuade Susan from this marriage and actually told her she was too young and that she needed to date more before choosing a husband, which, mm. you know, props to, to Chuck and Judy because that doesn't – I don't hear that a lot in these, in these uh, insular communities. Well, a lot of times people are like, like you tell a girl, don't date that boy. She's going to want to marry that boy. For sure. You're going to do the opposite of what your parents say. And and Chuck ha did make mention in, in one of the books that he knew he couldn't push too hard about how much he hated Josh. He was like, <laughs> he's like, I hated that boy. I done hated him. But oh, my God. I that didn't tell her because I thought maybe that would just make her go faster into the relationship. That was like my parent, my mom with my one of my exes. 
I shall not be named, but we just didn't work out together. We it was Voldemort. It was Voldemort, but they were just like, we hated him the whole time, but we couldn't tell you because you would just want to get married and have kids with him. Right. Um, <laughs> which you didn't so good. Mm. But like Susan, even though her her parents, she, you know, she valued her parents a lot, but even though they were saying no, she would not be deterred. She had made a decision. She was very strong headed and I, I think she would have found her footing eventually if she were given the choice. Yeah. So, but their parents tried to be optimistic. From the book, If I Can't Have You, while Josh sitting across from him at the table, Chuck ticked off all the boxes. Yes, the boy had a job. Yes, he had an apartment where they could live. Yes, he was going to further his education by finishing college and getting a business degree. Josh was alert, convincing, and solicitous. He said all the right things. Chuck still wasn't completely convinced, but he gave them his blessing. Mm. That looks pretty good, he said half-heartedly, self-supporting and everything. He later told Judy that his first impression of Josh may have been wrong. Maybe there was hope for the couple after all. She's marrying him, Judy said, because she feels sorry for him. She, Susan thinks she can make him happy. I she, can change him. She thinks she can help him to change. No, girl, you can never change anybody. Yeah, it's just, you know, we... <sighs> A lot of us have gone through this many times in our younger years. And even in, there's not an age limit on it. It can happen over and over. But it is a cliche and it's a cliche for a reason. Sometimes ladies see uh, somebody who's potentially pretty flawed and then go like, I can, I will, I will struck, I will create this person like clay and I will develop them into a butterfly of a man. And you can't. No, you can't. They're going to pull you down because it's up to people to change themselves. I definitely went on a couple like phone dates with a dude over COVID and he kept texting me things like my wife left me and I'm looking for somebody to make me whole again. And I was oh, like, good. red flag, dude. <laughs> he kept texting and texting. And I was like, oh, dude, no. I'm, I was like, I'm recording right now. And he would send like an unhappy face. And I'm like, I can't be Ew, with you. Lord. He, I was like, he just good. wanted to be controlling me. He was like, Josh Powell. <laughs> He's going to start love bombing you, which is something that Josh did at the beginning of this to kind of appease her and get her under his power. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely red flags, and I'm you're not you're done right with that person. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I good. Blocked, blocked him. Good. good I said good, you good. have to work on yourself, and then I blocked. That's a mean thing to do, but <laughs> it's you know. not whatever. You know, I think sometimes it's okay to tell somebody that as long as you're not like being a complete asshole about it. No, but, I was right. Uh, so, you know, she did the thing. She did the thing that sometimes people do when they're young. And in reality, though, like her parents were trying to do their best to be optimistic, uh, that, but his, her whole family thought Josh was a weirdo. Uh, and they thought his family was even creepier than him, which is not good. Because you can just tell someone can check off all the boxes and you right. hear pheromones are just like, it's yeah. all me around this boy. <laughs> and it, I'm going to have to agree with Susan's family. Uh, Josh's family is something like uh, out of a horror movie. I was mentioning they reminded me of the Sawyers, but without the charm last episode, I get some people under the stairs vibes. We just rewatched the original Mother's Day from the 80s and uh, definitely getting some Powell vibes from that family. Um, they are goblins. So regardless, on April 6, 2001... So, yes, that is only a couple of months after they started dating, they became engaged. Cool. Yeah. They had a ceremony in their temple, uh, which is a great honor for Mormon 
you know, young people. And Susan, especially, she was, it meant a lot to her for that to happen. Yeah, it's probably her best day. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, this is again putting her, in, her into a different kind of mental prison. Because if you are, you know, you're in the sanctioned Mormon temple, you are agreeing to be with this person throughout the rest of eternity. So it's very similar to what we see with Scientology signing the million year, billion year contract. Um, she now has agreed in her brain that this man was, she's going to go live on his planet, essentially, which is part of the Mormon religion that they pretend they didn't used to say, but they did. They did, but forever. But when you're 18, 19, you don't understand what forever is. You understand 18 years. That's it. Yeah. And, and you don't understand how poisonous it is for somebody to tell you no matter what happens, you are linked to this person. You cannot leave. Uh, it's definitely a prison you're being put in. So they got, they did the temple ceremony and then they had a very modest reception. Um, some of the family, including Steve Powell, Josh's dad, were unable to attend the ceremony because you have to be a uh, super high level special extra Mormon to go into the temple. Mm. So not everybody was able to see the wedding, um, which is common in Mormon weddings, uh, but the, most of the family was present at the reception. We have a lot of footage of that day due to Steve's compulsive videotaping. Uh, and we get a, a view of Steve's inappropriate attention on Susan already. Like a lot of the media points to his obsession starting when they moved in with Steve, but you can already see him focusing too long on Susan and making weird little comments and, and, and getting like too close to the point where Susan on the video footage, you can watch it online. She just goes, you're too close. Uh, as he's filming her <sighs> and she says in a playful tone and she'll take this tone on over and over throughout the years. And it's something that Steve will insist on being flirtation. She's probably taught. I mean, I know how I was taught. You have to like, you never say anything bad to a man. Mm -hmm. You know, you always have to be a little bit, <laughs> okay, you know, he's always right. Just, come on. Be polite. Be polite. Um, cross your legs. Right. And yeah, her reactions really hit me hard, like in a personal way, uh, because I know, I know this tone and I know this feeling and this attitude. I know it personally. That smile, the little like playful brush off the your, tone. Yeah. Your shoulders get really high. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> yeah. And in the smile. Uh, to somebody who's being completely predatory because it's not gender-based, but it's uh, more commonly older guys to younger girls. Um, it's that sort of tone that attempt to de-escalate without them getting mad because you don't really have many options because it's happening around other people even and nobody is telling you it's wrong. Uh, no one's stepping in. No one's going like, bro, what are you doing? And so no one's going to protect you. And so even though you hate every second of it, you realize there's no one to advocate for you. And you just try to figure out how to say no in the least menacing, quote unquote, way possible by making jokes about it and smiling and going like, you're so crazy. Stop. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're being weird. Even though you want to be like, get the fuck away from me, you psycho. Yeah. And if you're just around it and everybody thinks it's fine, then you're like, am I crazy? Right. Totally. Am I the wrong one here? And that is, you know, one of the issues with the sort of patriarchal and even just in the wider scheme, growing up in the 90s, it was so much like that in society where I was, where I was just, that just happened and people just like accepted it and 
I, I remember being a teen and just being like, I guess this is fine. <laughs> and it was only going to get worse for Susan. So after their wedding, Josh would go on to lose one of many, many jobs that he'd hold for a short period of time throughout their marriage. Like two weeks, right? I mean, two weeks, three months, a day, That's you know, so just tough. hopping, 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 which is, you know, fine. But if you are starting a, a life with somebody who wants children, it's probably not great. So um, even though Susan was already working as well and she held on down steady jobs th throughout their entire marriage, they couldn't keep up with the bills. And they had the mindset that maybe if we stopped trying to like keep playing catch up with these bills, if we moved in with Steve, uh, that maybe we could save up to buy our own home. So they decided to move in with Steve in 2002, mm. who already had teenaged Alina and adult sons, John and Michael, living in his house. Poor Alina. Alina is really one of the most tragic figures in this. She's the whole, because we discussed her last episode, just growing up in this. And she really thinks this is normal. Yeah. I mentioned that I don't really love the Oxygen series, but I think the best thing that they did and most interesting thing they did was uh, they I were able to get Alina to sit down for an interview, which is the only time she's ever spoken really. And it is, uh, it's haunting. It's, you kind of waver between like kind of, well, for me, at least I felt would feel bad for her and sort of like pat her on the shoulder in my head. And then the rest of the time, do you hear what you're saying? You're justifying your father filming little girls nude. You're, you hear yourself. Because she was probably filmed nude. I mean, probably. God, I can't. You're just used to it. That's it. And then you can't say anything bad because it's the hierarchy and you can't go against that. It's just, yeah, it's just a survival tactic. But uh, yeah, so when they moved in, Alina and her brothers were living there. So Josh and Susan moved into the dining room. That means Steve had four of his five adult or close to adult children in his home. And they moved into the dining room with only some curtains and temporary dividers as privacy. No. It was then that Steve's seemingly compulsive obsession with Susan became absolutely all-consuming. We as the public and also most of the people closest to him had no idea to the extent of his disturbing behavior until years later when his house was raided by police. But Susan immediately was uncomfortable and she made it known to people. They're newlyweds. They want to have sexy private time. You would think, you know, you would think. And they didn't have any, which I'm sure, ugh, which I'm sure Steve was completely fine with. Ugh. That's awful. He just, he makes my skin crawl. Um, so she would, you know, go back to that tone where she would like, she were friends, call him like a perv or a weirdo, but just sort of brush it off. But she'd also then kind of broach things sometimes with friends, like casually ask, does your father-in-law hit on you? Which like, man, it hurts my fucking heart. It hurts my heart yeah. because she doesn't even, she's basically asking like, is this okay to people still? She's a kid. And no, she doesn't know. And no one really, I mean, people, her dad, like she told her parents some of the stuff and they were definitely like, no, that's not okay. But then it kind of just was, you. they just, it just dropped. They dropped it. But if somebody says that to you, that's red flags. Yeah. That's time to make waves. Absolutely. Um, I, I give Chuck and Judy a lot of credit, but I think it maybe should have been pressed a little bit harder. Like this is a criminal act. He's, yeah. What he's doing right now is just, like you, you need to get out of this situation immediately. Yeah, or come we'll help with, you. We'll yeah. do whatever you know. Because mm -hmm. it's their daughter. Come live with us. Yeah, it's always your daughter. Even if you give her away to another man, quote unquote, a gross man. It's still your daughter. 
Come bring your gross husband. He can come live with us. She's, yeah, she's so naive and so young. Uh, Then in 2003, Steve decides to confess his love to Susan. This is another unique situation because he accidentally recorded the audio of this interaction. So we have documentation of him doing this. He didn't know he was doing it. He had been filming he would be, he did a lot of times where he'd film women, including Susan, just like getting out of cars, like filming their asses, like hours and hours and hours of it. So he had been filming Susan pervily, and then he thought he turned his camera off and he popped it down in between the seats and he hadn't. So we can't see it because it's face down, but they recorded all the audio. And so we have full documentation of this horrible conversation. And he waited until he had her in a passenger seat of a moving car to do this, which is another thing that feels a little too close to home to me. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but where like a guy who already makes you uncomfortable corners you in a certain way and makes it so that he has to, you can't not hear what he's going to say, even if you don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. This is what he did. He, he trapped her forced her into this small space and she just sounds so forced casual while she's doing this but you can feel the discomfort radiating off her body but in that same just de-escalation way where if it was really how she felt it wouldn't sound the way she's talking it's it's her trying to get out of the situation as best she can and oh by the way i should mention at this time susan is 21 steve is 53 years old gross what in the ever-loving fuck is wrong with Steve Powell? I don't know if we'll ever fully understand. Well, they just feel, I've gone on some dates with some 50-year-olds just to see, and they they don't understand why they can't get 25-year-olds. And I'm like, dude, they want people their age. They don't understand. Yeah, and I mean, also, like, this is 21 to 53, to me, is different than, like, you know, 30s to 50s. And yeah. also, yeah, especially guys who grew up, like, before Gen X era, they were just given this, like, very distorted version of what reality is. Yeah, and like, you're always the man and the cock of the walk, no matter what. You get and, better with age. Well, sure. And just the idea that, like, the ideal is a super young girl because at the end of the day, it's because they're really multiple. <laughs> like, they're just easy to... Most women around their age wouldn't date them. No. Um, so it's, you know, uh, it's a whole, whole situation. So um, what it boils down to... Uh, I don't want to play the audio because I, through all this, I want to try to respect Susan as much as possible. A lot of it is so vile and so descriptive of her. Um, it's gross. And I don't, so I don't really want to add it in here, but if you want to listen to it, it's very easily available. You can find it just by doing the Google search. It'll show right up. What it boils down to is her saying that he is making her uncomfortable and she wants him to treat her like a daughter, um, that he, you know, you're my father-in-law. I want this relationship to be familial. And what she didn't know the gravity of being treated like his daughter, of course, um, she said it innocently, but what Lord Creepo took away from that was that she was definitely in love with him and it was Josh who stood in the way. So what he in his broken mind heard was, I want to be with you, but because I'm with your son, we can't. Like he turned it into this, he's just such a warped person. So Susan reports this interaction to Josh who initially sides with her and agrees to move away. Ultimately though, Steve convinces Josh that it's Susan who's been coming on to him and she is leading him on is, I cannot express 
enough how much I hate this person. Because at the end of the day, Josh is like, well, it's my dad, you know, and he's warped him. He's yes, he is. So his brain is so just mush at this point from yeah. Steve. Ultimately, I hate him so much. And he's not even the one who most likely took Susan's life. But Josh is also gross. And so Josh, this back and forth between Josh and Steve is really familiar um, as well to me. Not exactly the same, but in that vicious uh, cycle of abuse, even though Josh is an abuser, he is also in an abuse cycle with his dad, for sure. Yeah. So Steve was undoubtedly an abusive, destructive father. And Josh would waver between that deep hatred and and then go back to that desperate rationalization because at the end of the day, he does want his dad's approval in some part of the back of his brain. And it's when you're in that caught in that loop, sometimes it's just like, I just want this screaming to stop. I just want, I just want to have a normal day. I just want this to be calm. I just want to, and then you can kind of just like rationalize what your abuser is doing because you're in the middle of this. You can't even imagine outside of the bubble of this anymore. So then, all right. Yeah. You know what? It was her probably it was her fault. And then and then you you please the father and then the father's satiated, you know? Because if you please him, this will all stop. But he just exactly. keeps going, going, taking more of you. Yeah. And, you know, this is some of it's just speculation, of course, but this is what I see in it. And so, yeah, Josh was an abuser and he was abused, but he's leaned into his worst inclinations most of his life. And I don't see him as a victim really anymore at, at any point. You know, when he was a kid, I do feel sad for him. After this interaction, they pick up and they leave from Steve's house in Washington, where they've been living, and they move all the way down to Utah to be near the only good Powell, the good pool, uh, Jennifer, the black sheep. Mm. Jennifer had moved down to Utah, I think probably to be nearer to the Mormon community. And that was probably pretty happy for Susan to be far from Washington at that point. So they were able to go live with Jennifer initially, and that largely in part because Susan had very tentatively told Jennifer about the car incident. Jennifer hadn't known Susan very well yet, but Susan must have sensed that Jennifer offered a bit of a safe haven within this ocean of insanity in which she had found herself mired. Uh, It's actually how Susan and Jennifer first formed a bond is Jennifer disclosed some of the instances in her childhood with Steve, validating Susan's experience. Jennifer's been an advocate for Susan And even though she's a devout Mormon, she didn't let any of their most toxic doctrines regarding women affect her protection of Susan, which I really admire and appreciate. Josh, during this time, he remained pretty emotionally distanced from his dad, and people noted that positively. Nobody was psyched to ever see Josh come in a room under any circumstance. Nobody was ever like, yay, Josh is here. Um, (laughs) But... People tolerated him for the most part is what I'm saying. Because he's away from his father. He was way more bearable because without the crushing influence of his dad, he became a little bit more just like a normal annoying person. Jennifer writes in her journal at this time. Josh talked to dad two nights ago and we felt it ever since. He turned so mean. Then I asked myself this question. How can I keep from becoming enemies with my brother when he treats others so poorly. Sometimes I really want to slap him. Which is, that's pretty intense that's for Mormon. Intense. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for for Mormon, that's just like, that's like the worst thing you can think of saying. Um, Especially your brother? Yeah. Yeah. Violence? No. So people would notice. They took note whenever he uh, had spoken with his dad. 
Regardless of all that, Josh and Susan managed to save up enough money to put down a down payment on a little house, and they end up moving out of Jennifer's house in the early spring of 2004. During this time, and many times in their marriage, Susan is the sole breadwinner of this house, which is completely cool. You know, hopefully if somebody is contributing in some other way, there's no right way to run the house as long as everybody's happy. Yeah. But he mostly wasn't helping at all and whatever. Even if she was fine with that, that's their business. You know, if he she's cool with him just sitting around playing games all day, whatever, fine. But I think it ceases to be only their business is when we discover things like Josh wanted to have control over those earnings that Susan was bringing in. Control over the finances, even though she's making the money and he had control over it. Yeah. That drives me up the wall. Yeah. Up the wall. It's her money that she worked for. And I could see, you know, some control over it because you're a, a partnership here. But if she made the money and comes home and you take all of it, no. And not only that, it, it's going to get worse over the years until she gets a little older and starts to gain her footing and her her yeah. develop her own strength. He would, and he didn't like he doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. He wouldn't even change diapers. He wouldn't no. do anything because if you're like a stay at home mom, right. yes, you don't pull in the money, quote unquote, but you do things that need to be done. You change right. the diapers, you clean, you make the right. food. And even before this is before they have kids. And even before then, it, there can still be a stay-at-home spouse who's doing things that need done as long as everybody's cool. Yeah. However, there is never, ever, ever a reason a person should control your own money ever unless you fall down a mountain and you break your brain and you need to be under some sort of conservatorship or something. If you are an adult, no one should control your money. I don't give a fuck what your religion tells you. Never. Okay. And this is already happening early in their marriage. At the most, you know, you have a joint bank account and you both can access it and do your thing. Josh continues to further and further refuse to let her into her own bank account. Um, and it's kind of normalized in this community. And it's why I get angry sometimes about these high control religions. So we'll get back to that. Then, yeah, because it's like, why do you want to control their money? Oh, you don't want them to leave? Why do you think they would want to leave? Oh, maybe they're having a bad time and mm -hmm. you're okay with that? Right. For sure. Uh, it's it's a terrible, terrible spiral. It's it's always leading. It's a domino effect for many other things. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. And so then when they're in Utah in the summer of 2004, Susan announces her first pregnancy. Kirsty and Josh Hallowell were neighbors and friends of Josh and Susan through the church. 
they noticed a change in Josh right away uh, after this pregnancy announcement. At this point, even though the marriage wasn't great, they still showed affection for each other around people. It only had only been four years into their entire relationship, mind you. So they're still like new as a couple because they'd only dated for a couple months before they got engaged. And they had a child four years into the because that's kind of a long time for Mormons. Usually it's like a year, you know, just like boom. Yeah. Kids. Josh didn't want it. Like he kind of like before they got married, he talked a big game, but he then made a lot of excuses. Like, Susan wanted kids right, right away. But also, you know, they were at first like living in like the dining room and doing all the stuff. So you can't have sex in the dining room. God, I hope not. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, there's yeah, they're young and Josh's full, you know, dark side. His shadow self hasn't revealed himself yet. So we're not seeing the Josh Powell that we know um, and hate fully yet. When Susan becomes pregnant, she's overjoyed because, yeah, it's half the reason she wanted to get married so young. She was so excited to have a family and she wanted a baby so badly. Yeah. Josh has a different reaction. Kirsty recalls, When they first moved in, Josh and Susan were all cute and cuddly together. Another friend used to tell them, get a room. But when Susan told him she was pregnant, it was like a switch had flipped. Suddenly, he wouldn't touch her. He treated her like she was disgusting. There was an alien inhabiting her body. He accused her of faking the pregnancy. You're just making it up so you don't have to work. Another time he said, if there's something in there, I didn't do it. Susan would get offended, of course. She offered to show him a pregnancy test or take him with her to the doctor, but he just refused. He wouldn't even go to the doctor. No. Um, yeah. And it, it does, like you just said, it, it sounds to me like total denial, um, probably trauma-based. Is it partly due to that? Probably. And if you're pregnant, you want to be touched. You want to be loved. You're in like a very, not insecure and not helpless, but you're in, and not weak, but you're in a place of needing protection. I mean, you're very vulnerable. I mean, in the purest form of nature, absolutely. You're, you are yourself are protecting the most like innocent thing that your body will ever experience. And yeah, you definitely want love nurturing, yeah. certainly. And he, you know, he never gained any sort of coping skills for this sort of thing. So I imagine his emotional, his his ability to experience nervousness and stuff, he just probably just shuts down and detaches. That would be my guess. Um, and Jennifer goes on to explain that he did remain pretty detached through all nine months, all the way up until Susan was in labor on January 19th, 2005. At 10 a.m., her water broke while Susan's parents were staying with them, and Josh wouldn't get off his laptop. He was filling out some sort of form that had nothing to do with the hospital or oh anything. It was God. just completely removed from it. Infuriating. Drive your wife to the hospital. Be with her. Hold her hand. Yeah. So while well, Susan's father, Chuck, says, we got to the hospital and Susan was admitted. At about noon, Josh arrived with his laptop. Josh sat down in the hospital room near the window about six feet from the foot of the bed and started working on his laptop. My wife was comforting Susan, so I went over to see what Josh was working on. It was the same form from the morning. By about 9.30 p.m., Susan was nearing delivery and was in intense pain. Josh was still working on the laptop. What? Having been through the delivery experience with my four children, I realized that this was a critical time. I went over to Josh and told him, you need to put down the laptop now and go help your wife. She needs you. Josh finally put down the laptop. I told him to go stand by the bed and hold Susan's hand. 
Susan was very relieved he had come to support her. Josh looked pale and became emotionally involved. He appeared to finally realize just how intense this was for Susan. The baby was delivered within 30 minutes. Susan then began to praise Josh for being there when she needed him. Josh was glad to hold the new baby and was proud to show off the baby. And I felt that perhaps he might do okay as a father. So he just wanted to show off the baby. That's it. It's just narcissism. Yeah. And it's that you, you almost can see it in your eye of him suddenly being re-emerged into reality and realizing, oh, this is coming. I can't pretend this isn't happening. And then probably there was moments of being like, wow, this is incredible. You know, just even for fleeting moments, he can have humanity inside of him. And then, you know, it doesn't last, of course. But, um, you know, we see this repeating sentiment from people over and over regarding Josh sort of going like, well, maybe... Maybe he'll figure it out now. Maybe he'll change. Maybe it'll be better now. Because, you know, I get that to an extent because you can't force Susan out of her life. You have to sort of go like, well, I guess cross my fingers. This is going to be okay. She's a grown woman. But there's also lines that become crossed where you do have to wonder what's the right time to step in and put your foot down or intervene. Uh, And we're going to see those points and we'll talk about them. But there, there is. I, I do believe that there are moments where you do need to intervene with your loved ones if you're seeing these signs. Yes. Chuck's hopes did not come to fruition that he would figure it out. Josh seemed to show no interest in the basics of child care and really only stepped in with the baby and when it suited him. Uh, Susan was really hoping to be a stay-at-home mom, but because Josh couldn't hold a job down, she had to return to work when Charlie was still really little. Mm, and that's when babies need the mothers the most. Yeah. And she wanted to be, she, that was like one of her dreams. She wanted to be there with that baby. Yeah. And a big part of this, okay, so if you want to live under a hierarchy, all right, well then how about you act like the big man? How about you act like you're, you're the one above me over mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. and then go get a job that supports everybody so I can be home with the child. Be somebody that I can praise. Yeah. You want to be the top of the umbrella, motherfucker? Yeah. How about you act like it? And he's not. No. So he was sort of living on this this dual this duality where he didn't really ever I think believe in the Mormon doctrine. He just masked it to to gain this wife and because he was just like, oh, I'm at the top. Yeah, That's and it. he loved that side of it, but he didn't care about the working to be at the top, the nice part, I guess, of being the top, yeah. the, the kind part, the good part. Yeah, like, he just wanted to be the dominating person because mm. Mormons also have to go out and help people. They're supposed to. He's supposed to. He didn't do that. No. And uh, this was, again, a lot of the influence of Steve because Steve uh, really latched on to he was making jokes from the beginning, like, you need to get yourself a wife who's going to make a bunch of money so you can stay at home. Oh, my God. So Susan uh, confided in her friend Rachel, who was another church friend of hers in the summer of 2005 when Charlie was still an infant and Susan was already back at work, that Josh still acted as though she was repulsive. And would punish her by withholding sex if she irritated him in some way. Horrible. That's abuse. Withholding sex from your spouse? For sure. Although, I don't know. I'd be counting my blessings if Josh didn't want to have sex with me. But that's just me. (laughs) Be like, oh, man, I can't get any of that Josh dick today. Mm. Oh, man, that sucks. I bet his pubes look just like his beard. Oh, I bet. They're very wispy. There's like five of them. (laughs) This is also uh, when Susan confides that Josh is fully controlling the finances that only she was bringing in, by the way. 
Even if she wasn't a partner, again, having absolutely no access to a shared home bank account is deeply abusive. However, in this case, as the head of household, quote unquote, quote unquote, it was somewhat normalized that he should control the money, though it was unusual in a Mormon church for the female to be the breadwinner, like you just mentioned, Amber. Susan says to Rachel, He's so controlling. He controls everything I do. He won't let me spend money on meat, on anything. He has to have an accounting of every dime. On meat? You need protein. You just gave birth. You have energy. You have work. (laughs) Well, You need a steak. You need some stew. I wish she had some stew for sure. Uh, No, he definitely withheld a lot of nutrition from the family eventually, including now, but it got worse when the kids were older. So- that also affects your brain. Like if you, a lot of cults, they like mm-hmm. won't, they'll deny you food, basic food. So yeah. then you, something in your brain clicks and you're just like, okay, like you're just easily malleable. Well, yeah. I mean, not for nothing. She's getting it on both ends because on this side she's being starved. And then Mormonism re- really encourages a lot of fasting, especially if you are in tr- like feeling like she would fast a lot to try to fix her marriage. <laughs> Um, which is not good. No. This definitely struck her friend Rachel as not great, but it's also so ingrained that the husband is the boss that she didn't really have much to say to Susan because she and her husband, Tim, are both devout Mormons as well, though she did tell her husband, both of whom said, hmm, oh, well, I, hmm, Yeah, nobody wants to make waves because usually the person that calls it out, the whistleblower, Mm-hmm. They usually get treated like, like the bad person. Right, and they get shunned and things. And they don't want to get shunned because it's such an insular community. Mm-hmm. And if you get kicked out, you have nothing. And you don't have any friends that are on the outside. For sure. So nobody wants to get kicked out. They notice this and like, oh, that's bad. Okay. Yeah. And and Tim also, her husband Tim uh, was best friends with Josh. Uh, yeah. they He was friends with Josh back. Tim actually tried to date Susan first. Drama. Drama. Um, so, uh, you know, these are church-gained relationship friends. So Tim tried to talk to Josh, and Josh sort of just brushed it off, being like, what are you talking about? I don't know, that's dumb. And then they just dropped it. Mm. So, and that's, that's a red flag. That's something in the community. You should say something. Absolutely. Uh, the truth, this is definitely a red flag. <laughs> the truth was that it wasn't even, she didn't even express how controlling he was. This was just even the light version of it. He had taken to cataloging coupon books for all the local grocery stores, and he would give Susan a certain stipend of money that she had earned to do the shopping and would berate her and and go into rages if she even spent, if she went to a store where it was like a 50 cents cheaper to buy a can of soup at a different store. At the same time, he was buying expensive tech equipment and power tools at his leisure, claiming that they were to help him with whatever scheme he was trying to cook up that month to make money. So it was fine for whatever he wanted to, to buy, but she was being like criticized for buying a more expensive box of saltines. Um, meanwhile, across the country, Steve's obsession with Susan does not waver. He spent what must have been amounting to hours a day writing about her, making videos of himself talking about her, and uh, writing over 50 songs about her. That disgusting. Yeah. Uh, he goes, <laughs> stage name is Steve Chantry. And 
I want to throw a few bars in here just because I need you to hear this cursed artifact in case you haven't yet, and I apologize, but we must all experience this. I can love you in a secret way. I can love you each and every day. Soft in my ear, my Lydia. Soft as I dream of you. I could be getting a mistaken impression Each time you seem to gaze at me You let me touch you softly, why is the question And the effect amazing You make my eyes pop out of their sockets You could empty all my pockets This flirtation isn't rocket science Came along and really knocked my socks off. Now you're all I think and talk of. So much for my former self reliance. I said I love. So the only sound I can think of when I hear his music is. <laughs> yeah, it just shivers me to the bones. It really. If somebody wrote that about me, I would, I, I don't know, freak me out. Like if, it should be the soundtrack in a haunted house at an amusement park. <laughs> um, I it's gross, and a lot of it is again, it feels invasive to Susan. So I don't want us to play too much of it, but I do think it's important to understand how delusional this absolute taint of a human being was. There's. You can go find the songs if you want. He just thinks he owns her. Yes. And he also thinks that she's wildly in love with him. But I think he also knows that's not true and he doesn't care. I think he he is uh, such a narcissist and so detached from reality that he just like, well, I want her to be in love with me. And so she is. Which, you know, that's the worst form of taking the secret to your, you know, to your life. Power of attraction just being like... Well, I'm in love with them, and so they are, because I have attracted it. Yeah. Don't use the secret for that. So Josh and Steve, in November of that year, they had been really, you know, that's this is the time when Josh, this was the better version of Josh, technically. They began, quote unquote, healing their relationship. They began talking on the phone again at the end of that year. So this is after... They've moved away from him. They lived with Jennifer. They got their own house. They had their first baby. And now Steve and Josh are starting to reconnect now that the baby's like an infant. No. Yeah. Then in 2006, Susan becomes pregnant again. And Which though hmm? she was happy about, but everybody else was like, no. Yeah. They were like, uh, go, oh, can, yay. yay. <laughs> so, yes, everyone was worried. And Susan was not delusional about her marriage circumstances, but she was overjoyed with the pregnancy. She wanted babies and she was very excited. Something good out of this. I know a lot of people, this is really sad to say, but a lot of people that are in failed marriages that look to their kid and they're just like, at least I got something good out of this and they want more kids. And I'm like, that's just making the problem worse. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I would say just get the divorce and then get like a, you know, baster and and make babies that way. It's probably better to be a divorced happy person than a Married. Because kids can, they know. They know when their parents are arguing. And yeah. then you see the kids. That's why they act out. A yeah, lot. absolutely. I think a lot of times the idea of a divorced parents is the worst idea that we can imagine for kids. But 
there are people who should be divorced and people who would be better parents as divorced parents. Yeah. And sometimes being divorced is okay, you know? Um, yeah. Let's normalize it. Especially if you got married so young, mm-hmm. you don't know who you are yet. Absolutely. And it's healthy to grow and change and become different. And if you become two very different people, maybe you should co-parent apart from each other. And that's all right. That's okay. It will be awkward when you are on your ex-husband's planet after you die. It will be a little weird, but you can probably settle up in another side of the planet. So like you don't have to see him all the time. Yeah, I'm on the other side of the planet. And especially if you remarry, you're like, well, you can't talk to my husband yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I guess he get. I guess second husband gets, they has to be on the first husband's planet. I don't know. I have to ask Mormons about that. Um, so Josh's compulsive behavior seems to escalate through these years of being a young father. Jennifer writes, Josh's controlling tendencies were getting worse. He had always had a leaning to OCD behavior, but now it intensified. He didn't like touching other people, his wife and children included. Kissing and any type of physical relationship with Susan were especially hot topics. It was all about the germs. Poor Susan. She was an affectionate woman and she was starved for his attention. Then there were all of his strange doomsday statements. We're going to need to move to a state that has more water because eventually the world is going to run out of water or... We're not going to buy groceries anymore. If we can't grow it in our garden, we can't eat it. It's great if you want to grow your own vegetables, but if you're doing it because you don't want to spend 50 cents on some carrots. Yeah. While you're you're yourself purchasing, to- like he was obsessed with race cars and stuff. So he would buy these toys, but yet making his wife pick her own food um, out of the ground, which is fine. I Again, uh, give me some fresh vegetables. That sounds awesome. But you need to eat other things also. So, um, by the way, I just wanted to say, I'm not sure if he was ever diagnosed with OCD or his sister is just implying that he seemed like he may have had OCD, but there's no hate to our OCDers out there. If he did have that disorder, he certainly wasn't getting treatment. And I I have my own disorders that are very similar to OCD and there's no nothing but love. He just certainly wasn't. He knew that something was going on in his brain and he refused to go get help. So, yeah, he's making her grow this food. While he's still buying, he's hoarding office equipment, things like that. And you can see videos. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but you could see the videos of her going through the house being like, this is his stuff. He bought with my money. Like, yeah. And you can see her starting to kind of break. Like, she's no longer that girl that's like, ah, please don't touch, you know? Yeah. She's starting to kind of crack and become a woman. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, well, we're actually going to play a little clip of that video here in a minute um, because, yeah, you, you can see his hoarding tendencies. His clampdown on their finances became even worse. And when he she tried to access their bank accounts now, where her checks were being direct deposited from her job, he would change the password to lock her out. Like anytime she could figure out the password, he would change it and lock her out of her own bank account. Look at this guy. Fuck I this mean, guy. so hard. Fuck him so, so hard. hard. It's her. And she's just doing it. What's she going to buy? Diapers? Baby formula? Yeah, I mean, like... Even if she wanted to go get some escargot at a restaurant, she deserves it. She does, but she wouldn't do that. The most she would she would buy, try to buy makeup and stuff until he'd say, absolutely, you can't buy anymore. Look pretty. And some, you know... She's buying, like, she's buying fucking, like, Walmart makeup. She's not going to, like, the... Sephora. Yeah, she's not going to the top counter at fucking Macy's. I don't even know where expensive makeup is. <laughs> I, just, I don't know either. <laughs> but you know what, ladies, or whomever, whatever you ascribe to, and if you want to buy some, like... I, I don't think that shopping therapy is a good thing, but if you want to get some lipstick and to feel good, get some high heel shoes, and you want to feel good, get some escargot, you do it. Oh man, the this year has been 
just ripe with emotional shopping online for yeah. me that's for sure yeah it's a fine line of like you know emotional shopping's not good you don't want no. so many things in your life but sometimes go sometimes like waiting for a new dress to come you're just like yeah yeah i have a feel pretty, pretty thing and i'm gonna spin in circles in it yes like this little dress here i got i did get it at goodwill but like it's a pretty thing that i like susan yeah, deserves to get a pretty little thing that she likes of but course she can't she's no. got to till those potatoes yeah she's got to literally like if you want to watch the video he like would hoard buckets of grain and they would have to make their own bread and stuff like he wouldn't buy wonder bread <laughs> you would have to make her like make the bread so which is fun it's a fun thing to know how if you are not doing it out of necessity to live um and he's buying little race car toys mm -hmm. yeah yeah if you if you have the cash to buy groceries and you just can't because your husband's a piece of shit this one is fun. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at Rosetta Stone stone.com today. So it was also during this time that Susan started seeking out childcare for her two small boys. Even though Josh was often not working during this period of time and at home during the day, she would often come home from work to find that the babies hadn't been fed or been sitting in their own filth for hours. Oh my God. While he's just like clack, clack, clacking away on the internet. Just looking at some form, yes. whatever the hell he's doing. Like for real though. Somebody needs to go to their house, shut the fucking laptop off and say, get off your ass, dude, and clean these diapers. Yeah, I know. And that really, she, when she was starting to gain her voice in that way, was when things turned and because no, he don't like that he don't like somebody telling him what to do yeah and this is not to say she shouldn't have because I definitely think she should have but we'll talk about the warning signs that we could see so she would eventually Susan would find Debbie Caldwell who ended up being their daycare provider and the woman who first realized Susan was gone she was the one we talked about at the very beginning of the first episode so Debbie and Susan had a friendship and she, Debbie loved the little boys, but she and the other parents didn't like when Josh would be the one to pick the boys up. The parents actually called him rocks for brains when he wasn't around. <laughs> um, which is bad in that community. I know, which again, with Mormons, I think is like the worst curse that you can say. Because you're supposed to be nice to each other. Yeah. Uh, but I guess Josh was fine with the daycare being paid for because, uh, you know, that would mean that there would be two. He wouldn't be burdened by two babies desperately needing his attention while he surfed the Internet. So at this point, after the second pregnancy had been announced, her dad was openly saying to her, you need to get a divorce from this man, which I respect. Huge, huge yeah. in that community yeah. to say. Yeah. And she... She definitely thought about it. We know this from her emails. She has a lot of, um, you know, correspondence with people, things she had written. But she danced with the idea of divorce, but she had her strong religious convictions. And certainly her parents, like having her parents not shame her was, I think, one of the best gifts they could have given her. She even asked Debbie Caldwell if she would still be willing to work with her if she was a single mom, which I don't really understand what that means. Like, isn't that a weird thing to ask? Is that 
Like, will daycares not work with you if you're single? Or is that a Mormon thing? It might be a Mormon thing. And, like, if you don't know anybody who's been divorced and if it's been yeah ostracized and ridiculed, I mean, that's like saying, hey, why don't you go kill yourself? Right. Really? Yeah. You know, I'm like, but I don't want that. It's really like, no, just put the gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks because it seems like you would need daycare more if you were single. And it's sad that she had to ask. Because you'd be ostracized from the whole community. Yeah. Fortunately, Debbie was supportive of her and Mm -hmm. she was just like, yeah, sure. So that's great because it was a Mormon-based daycare, I'm pretty sure. So that would have been a big deal. I think people hated Josh so much. They were just like, maybe we don't have to worry about religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe don't live with him forever. Maybe just get out of here. Maybe God will not let him have a planet. Let's just see. Maybe God's changed the rules on this guy. This is a huge deal. Um, So anyway, anytime she considered divorce, there would be two main factors that would hold her back. One, Josh threatening to ruin her life and take away her kids if she left. Somewhat standard abuse tactic. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish Susan knew that he would have next to no ground to keep the children and that she wasn't actually... I'm I'm sad because it seems to me that she felt like she had no protection. And who knows how much actually people were there for her. But it does seem like she did have a net that... It's hard, especially as a woman in that community. I know from business that when somebody yells at you and they threaten you, that means you actually have more power than you think you have. Yes. Because the only thing stopping them from getting what they want is your permission. Yeah, absolutely. And it, not a lot of us don't understand that for a long time. And she, she, I wish she would have known the actual power that she could have held in that situation. But I understand also because he had a whole army of lunatics behind him who we already know are pretty capable of crazy shit. So it's not like it was unfounded that she should be worried, but he would have no legal say whatsoever. There's very easily, you could, I mean, Utah, again, the laws are a little different, so it might've been harder, but in in most places, people would have looked at the list of things that he had done and been like, yeah, you can have the kids. Yeah, get out of here. But she is a woman alone in this community. Mm-hmm. I bet she didn't know anybody who's gotten a divorce before. Probably not. She never knew a oh, divorce. She had, no, she had one black sheep sister who'd been divorced. But right. She, that was like the darkest thing their family had. It was like, oh, the little, the younger sister, she's divorced. She has four children. Yeah. She got divorced. But it was that, that was like the the most scandalous part. So she knew one person who had mm-hmm. a divorce, but she was ostracized essentially for being a divorced oh my god mother, so. i just want to give her a red dress and tell her to twirl around I and know. Take, you know own that body baby she was she was gorgeous yes, oh my god she was her. so beautiful okay so the second point is the church josh at this point railed against the church much like his father did to his mother he put on the facade of being devout and then after marriage took off the mask and belittled and mocked the church and while i have obviously very deep distaste for the Mormon religion. If your spouse is a deeply devout person and you just turn around and are hateful towards it, that is destructive and is cruel to say the very least. I do think Susan might have been better off without the church doctrine, but without the church doctrine, she probably wouldn't have been with Josh in the first place. So his cruel mockery of her religion certainly didn't help her in any way. And it was an abusive thing to do. Yeah. He's not getting a planet. No, right? No. But that's like, like so my question is like, if she stayed with him, does he get a planet even though he's not going to the church? And if not, where does she go? Does she just get to float in space because she's a woman? She doesn't get her own planet? Even though she raised the kids and was paying in the tithings? 
She just has to float around. She's got to be so confused as to what's going to happen after life. Yeah. She thought she was going to get a whole planet and now she's going to be floating in space with nothing. Yeah, it's bullshit. She doesn't know what to do. So I tell you what planet I'd want to live on. The one that rains diamonds. Can I get that planet? I don't know. Maybe. Can you? Well, not as a lady, but damn. I wonder if you can put requests in. I can. Um, I can email the church. (laughs) Even though uh, Josh was uh, no longer a good Mormon, the goal with high control religions is never to dismiss members, but find ways to bring them back in. Always about gaining numbers, or usually at least it's about gaining numbers. So even though Josh was critical of Mormonism, that wouldn't be cause to push Susan away from the church in the church's eyes or tell her to leave him. It would be her duty as a good Mormon woman to help him find his way back to the church. And that's what she believed. From the book, If I Can't Have You, some Mormons believe that no professional or personal success compensates for a failure in the home. When a couple is married in a holy temple, as Josh and Susan were, the marriage is sealed. They promised to stay together for eternity on earth and in heaven after they die. As time went on and the mood darkened in the house on W. Sarah Circle, which is the house they lived in, Susan began to tell her friends that she was having trouble imagining eternity with Josh. He changed after his sons were born. Josh used to be affectionate, but now he was cold, distant, and found every way he could to control Susan, including cutting off access to the money she earned. Susan spent early years of their marriage trying to help Josh pay off his mid-six-figure school loans, loans that had never quite added up to a college degree, although he claimed to have completed one. But he lied about it. Of course he did. But Josh's inability to keep a job more than a couple weeks at a time caught up with them. Susan seemed stressed and friends suggested that she leave Josh, who they called very, very controlling and emotionally abusive. Josh and Susan began marriage counseling offered by their church, which, by the way, Josh only agreed to go to because it was free. She had been begging him to go to therapy um, for years, and he didn't want to spend the money on it. So he finally agreed to go to the counseling at church because it was free. It's free. But you know all those marriage counseling things? You know what they talk about? Women be submissive to your husband. For sure. That's all they talk about. Why don't you give him sex? But he's denying her sex. Y- yeah. No, it, it's definitely, it wasn't probably the best thing for them. Uh, no. So... After they began counseling offered by their church and after fasting and praying, Susan decided to keep working on the marriage. She was held captive by love, fear, and the church's promise that if she prayed harder, everything would get better. So not only was she strapped with the task of bringing Josh back to Mormonism, but in doing so, she only gets to be his wife while he gets a whole planet. Okay, I'm not going back to this. Which just, Mormon? <laughs> God, I hope his planet's full of dog shit. I yep. hope his planet it's just is bugs, just, just made bugs. out of bugs. Yeah, and dog shit. And you get to live there, you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where he is now. Also, in their doctrine, by the way, they espouse that the people of color were cursed and heavenly people were white. By the way, yeah. Then they said God changed his mind in the 1970s, and that is real. That's cool. And I wonder if it's because um, maybe they just wanted more money. I don't know. Maybe that's wild. Yeah, I think so. And also because the social tides were changing, they knew that they were going to be whatever the 70s version was can- of canceled was. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, wait, God just called and he said that he changed his mind about it. And then everything's all of the destruction of calling people of color bad is gone now. So anyway, <laughs> there's a fair amount of evidence that Josh had nefarious intention with Susan for years leading up to her disappearance. Around the middle of 2007, Josh took out two massive life insurance policies on the family and also took her to some sort of lawyer meeting that essentially resulted in Josh attaining power of attorney over Susan's private business and legal matters should she become, quote unquote, incapacitated or die. 
essentially maintaining control over her assets no matter what may befall her. And that's that's another red flag. Mm-hmm. Oh, if something happens, I get the money? Yeah. What's going to happen, Bo? What's going on? Yeah, so that was 2007. And that's when he took out the insurance policies and did all this. And then there are notes where we find in uh, within Steve's insane rambling journals. By the way, thoughts and prayers to individuals who had to read through every one of the pages of Steve's journals because, good Lord. It's just a lot of like... Disgusting. I mean, just so gross and awful, but also just like him describing how he like cooked his ham that morning and stuff. So on September 6, 2007, Stephen wrote, Josh talked on and on very openly about how he would love to get rid of her. He's not attracted to her. He says he daydreams about having someone come to his door and report that she was killed by a drunk driver. Through all of this, By the way, I think the loathing partly comes from Steve because Steve's obsession with her, he probably can't, I imagine he can't process the fact that his father is doing this horrible shit to his wife. And so he has to project that hatred onto Susan. Yeah. Um, She just gets so much hatred from people and she didn't deserve it. No, she didn't do anything. (laughs) She did nothing. Through all this, the children were also suffering. Beyond being inside a volatile household, Josh's control over food was affecting the boys as much as Susan. At one point, their pediatrician diagnosed Charlie as malnourished. She was often left to feed the kids with only what was grown in their yard and had multiple times had to ask the neighbors for hot dogs or some other cheap form of protein so the kids wouldn't be literally starving. That's when people step in. Yeah. When the kids are getting malnourished, I mean, that's make the waves. It's another, definitely another red flag. Especially um, the pediatrician. Isn't it like like a law or something when they see kids being malnourished that they have to bring police into the home? Is that a thing or is it I, a Mormon thing? It could be a Mormon thing. It could be that there are so many kids who are malnourished, they can't take away the kids from that. And I don't even think that they necessarily should take the children away if they're malnourished. They need help. They some need some form of help. Or, yeah, yeah. Maybe not take them away, but just come in, bring CPS in the home. Okay, yeah. so the kid's malnourished. Why? What's yeah. going on here? Yeah. I Do almost, you need help? I almost feel like bringing the cops in would be even worse. Um, so, yeah, but uh, there should be some 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 kind of help that comes from that. So even though there, you know, you could say, oh, well, maybe they were just having these financial problems. No, Susan had a job and he had jobs off and on and it didn't stop him from taking out an $80,000 ad for his realtor business during the br- his brief attempt at selling houses. $80,000. That is so much money. Yeah. And spoiler alert, it turns out you need to be charming and have people be not openly repulsed by you in order to sell them houses. Yeah, if I go into a house and he's selling me the house, I'd be like, I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta get out of here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. He, he did, could have bought a house for $80,000. I know. Uh, he uh, it didn't go well. He didn't succeed as a realtor. And he ended up going to court, refusing to pay off the remainder of the ad bill, making up. He lied about them misprinting his phone number. And somehow he's gotten through all these. He's been through so many court cases because he pulls this shit all the time. And he gets away with it a lot. He had, we, They found out post-mortem that he'd actually also pulled off um, driving insurance, like insurance fraud when he, he would cause accidents. He he was a he was a con artist. How does he get away with this every to just the judge is like, well, I guess he's a good old boy. Yeah, I think so. Really, it's, it's all just insular. It's yeah. all taken care of in house. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't end up paying a lot of those bills, but he did destroy both he and Susan's credit. He destroyed Susan's credit. He ran up all of her credit cards, eventually intentionally doing so 
knowing he was going to get as much as he could out of their credit and then file for bankruptcy. And that was deeply against Susan's wishes. She knew she said it was wrong and she didn't think she didn't. She thought you shouldn't do that. No. And he didn't care, of course. He just wants to make her life miserable. Yeah. So she was first off paying off his debts and then he ruined her credit and then they had to file for bankruptcy. At this point, around 2007, Susan is starting to grow up and become a bit more vocal about her displeasure. She's around 27 at this point, still very young, but you at least are a little bit out of puberty at that point. Two kids. Yeah, two children. She's a mom. Wow. At 27, I was doing bong rips in a basement. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, for Mormons too, at 27, usually they have like four at least. And honestly, it's a big red flag that they didn't have kids until four years into their marriage. As a Mormon, As yeah. a Mormon? Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad they didn't, though, while they were staying at fucking Steve's house. Good Lord. Um, so she was getting that those first, like, tingles of independence and, and realizing she had more power than Josh wanted her to believe she had. And she also started kind of going, maybe divorce isn't the worst thing. Yeah. Maybe it'll be okay. We have a lot of insight into her thought process through a lot of email correspondences she sent and some letters and notes we'll talk about. But around this time, Josh was trying his hand at a new career, computer programming. So from If I Can't Have You, Josh got an IT job at Aspen Distribution, a trucking and warehouse company. At the time, Susan wrote to a friend. They gave him a work-issued laptop and an identity badge so I know he feels special. I pray and hope that his skills will keep his company satisfied and he will stay long-term. Despite Josh's new career and Susan's hope that her husband would find his way in the world and some stability in a new career, she was taking concrete steps to formulate an escape plan. The day he was at his job interview, Susan was on the phone calling around to divorce attorneys, setting up phone calls, consultations. She wrote in another email, I did manage to get a hold of one and feel a lot better about my rights. On the advice of a divorce attorney, Susan made a videotape of their belongings. Looking into the camera with Charlie underfoot, Susan narrated the tour of their home. I'm going to include a little clip because I want you to hear her voice. Uh, this is me. July 29th, 2008. It is 1233. Mountain time. Um, covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us that... Our assets are documented. Hope everything works out and we're all happy and live happily ever after as much as that's possible. We have, this is Josh's computer and here's the kind of pimping out stuff he's done to his computer. He built it himself. I think there's like five hard drives, something about doing raids. Alright, here's our unfinished basement. We bought 3,000 pounds of wheat, and these are buckets of wheat. See? And there is a shop vac. This is all stuff bought in a year or less through Home Depot on my credit. Josh bought a lot of stuff, and then he had to bankrupt it. And then he bought a little bit more on my credit. Oh, there's his RC car. It's pretty pimped out. If you can see that stuff. I think he's got probably a 3,000 worth of supplies in the RC car world. A whole lot more tools. So he bought drill sets. There's a nail gun by Boss Stitch. There's a rigid small drill. A Milwaukee drill. A rigid 
think that's a sander of some sort. There's another rigid saw, paint supplies. This is all of Josh, Josh's RC car stuff. You are with me. I'm told it's like worth $3,000. We added these lights. Chandelier. Chandelier. Josh claimed that was a birthday present, I think, for me. This is a can organizer that Josh is, and I made. I had to help him all through the way. He doesn't do projects by himself. All expensive stuff that we bought. A lot of it got bankrupted. A lot of it got added afterwards. More tools galore. Here are all the paperwork. All the tools he bought for this bathroom. Josh felt I need to pull the mirror out and cut more holes in the wall. Said he was going to make shelves. That didn't happen. Nail polish, makeup. I like to do Mary Kay, but it's expensive, so Josh always cuts me off after a while. And I had necklaces too. I don't know where those are. Got in a rage, as you can see, and broke this. There's duds and pearls and opals in there. Broke this and threw all my DVDs and made a mess because he was angry at me about a year or two back. And it's just clutter. There's so much stuff in the home. Just clutter, clutter, clutter. Yeah. It's all his stuff. Yeah. he. You can see the extent of his hoarding in these videos, but he does actually have a lot of expensive assets that he mostly paid for with Susan's credit. And uh, the little clips I played on here, you can hear when she's discussing the times when he like maxed her cards out. You hear her at the end of this talk about how he broke a bunch of her stuff when he was in a rage. She sounds exhausted to me. Like she's very young and she sounds tired, but maybe in a good way, in a way where she's just like, I don't care anymore. I have to get out of here. She's over it. I mean, people have just pushed her, pushed her, pushed her. And honestly, maybe having children gave her the strength because now she's got to save these kids. Yeah. She loves those children. She did. She desperately loved those kids. It was her whole point of being in a marriage at this point, really. There, Well, other than the fear of the afterlife but like she's kind of getting past that at this point i think it helped too that i that her parents didn't shame her which i appreciate yeah there was a lot of evidence susan feared for her life actually most of us didn't know this until after the fact but she had left breadcrumbs of her abuse for years sometimes it was more like an entire loaf of bread was left and <laughs> just like please somebody help yeah and people would just be like what's this loaf of bread doing here and just kind of step over it but she doesn't know what to do and this is coming from the person whom on her wedding day her father-in-law was making making gross passes at her and just, ah, please stop. Yep. You know, it's that little girl that's coming out and like saying these things because mm -hmm. she's in this community where you don't talk, you don't make the waves. The men are the right at all times. Yep. Yep. yep so it's yep. shaking everything up. Yeah. In, in 2008, one month before the video we just listened to, Susan had written a note. At the top of it, it says... Last will and testament of Susan M. Powell, written, signed, 62808. I'd like to read it out. Um, we're going to end this episode here, I think, and then we will conclude the story, not talking too much about the police investigation, but about the end of, of Susan's life and the ways that we can help people if they're in the situation, you know, talk about maybe when we should step in. So let's end it uh, reading Susan's last will and testament. Saturday, June 28th, 2008. 
I'm at work at WF Investments. I bike to work daily and have been having extreme marital stress for about three or four years now. For mine and my children's safety, I feel the need to have a paperwork trail at work, which would not be accessible to my husband. We've been to a church class about wills, and I know he can override me with legal paperwork, but I want it documented somewhere that there is extreme turmoil in our marriage. He has threatened to skip the country and told me straight out, if we divorce, there will be no lawyers, only a mediator, and I will ruin you. I, Josh, would be ruined too, but you would be destroyed and your life would be over and the boys will not grow up with a mom and a dad. If something happens to me, please talk to my sister-in-law, Jenny Graves, my friend, Kiersey Hellwell. Check my blogs on MySpace. Check my work desk. Talk to my friends, my coworkers, and my family. It is an open fact that we have life insurance policies of over a million if we die in the next four years. Coworkers, family, friends hear me say this occasionally. I want my marriage to work out. I've told my husband he is depressed or has issues, and we as a family of four are not happy, not showing how a husband-wife should interact, that we are messing up our children. He doesn't want to do counseling. He says if I were to buy groceries for cheap sale prices, those prices don't exist now with the cost of gas going up, that he would be happy with this well-purchased bargain deal food in his stomach would make him happy. Our marital problems would be solved. He also says he's mean to me, quote unquote, because of the Republicans, direct quote. Then he mentioned something about how our terrible economy is because of the Republicans. And if that were fixed, we wouldn't have these problems. If I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Take care of my boys. I want my parents very involved and in charge of their lives. If they aren't, there are my sisters. Hopefully they can be responsible. I love my boys. I live for them. I choose not to cheat or do drugs because I wouldn't want to risk losing them. Love, Susan Powell. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah.